I'm really happy about my career. Um, I love coaching. I love working with players. I love the game. I love teaching. Um, I love using the game as a vehicle to teach bigger things, more important things, life lessons. Um, I don't know if I ever would have done that if I was a good player. You know, if I was an elite player, if I was a really good player for Rutgers playing on, on the varsity team, you know, with a quote unquote normal career, I don't know if I ever would have started coaching. Hello and welcome to the 50 Cups of Coffee podcast. I am your host, Bobby Audley. I am a speaker and trainer with the Pinot Training Group, where we work with teams and organizations looking to create powerful, positive, peak performance team cultures. If you are a regular listener to the show, you know I said I was taking a break from podcasting, and I am. Technically, last week on Friday, I dropped a bonus episode interview with Delaware women's soccer coach Mike Barracaro. Today, I am dropping the full interview as many of you have requested. In this interview, we talk about Mike's playing days, how not playing NCAA Division I for four years eventually led to his coaching career, and we go through his entire career arc to learn how he got to where he is today. I think Mike's story is a fascinating story, and it was not included in the episode dropped last week. The last 30 minutes or so of this episode is what you heard last week on the bonus episode. Currently, I'm in the process of building a Patreon page, I think I'm saying that correctly, for this podcast to be able to offer more bonus episodes, PDF podcast notes, and extra content, including more best of episodes like the one I did in February. That episode took me five hours to create. And so while I would love to do more of those, I want to set up the right structure to be able to consistently do that. I am dropping this episode today because on Monday, I will be dropping a special episode where I am the guest. This week, I was a guest on the Sweaty Health Podcast with fitness professionals Scott Schratt and Ross Fitza. Scott and I played lacrosse together in college, and I am a huge fan of the work he is doing in fitness and had a great time on his podcast. We talk about what Ryan and I are doing to serve teams right now during social distancing. We talk about why filling your own energy tank is so important right now. And we talk strategies for holding teammates and players accountable during this time. We even talk a little bit about getting out of your comfort zone as Scott is an old friend and throws it back to my old company outside the zone. That was my best crack at a creative company name back in the day. So look out for that on Monday. On Monday, I'll get back to a more traditional intro with Pinot Training Group updates, another coffee shop shout out, updates on our athlete at home coaching program and more. For now, let's get into my full interview with Delaware women's soccer coach, Mike Barracaro. If you missed the bonus episode last week, Mike began his coaching career as the director of operations at Rutgers before coaching at Rutgers, as well as at UMBC, the College of Charleston, head coach at Iona College, associate head coach at NC State. And this fall, Mike wrapped up his third season as the head coach at Delaware. At NC State, Mike helped lead the Wolfpack to their best season in 21 years, earning their first NCAA appearance since 1996 and first ever NCAA Sweet 16 birth. That year, the entire NC State coaching staff was named the 2016 NSCAA Southeast Staff of the Year and was elected as finalist for the NSCAA National Staff of the Year. 
at Delaware this past season, Mike's team amassed the most wins in 25 years. They were the third best single season turnaround in the NCAA Division I, most overtime wins in the nation, and first ever major award at Delaware was given to Olivia Shook, who was named the Defensive Player of the Year. As I shared last week, at the Pinot Training Group, we are tremendously proud of our relationship and partnership with Mike because we believe he is one of the best in the business. This full episode gives you greater insight as to why that is. Please enjoy my cup of coffee with Coach Mike Barracaro. What have you been up to? I'll ask you this before we even get into it. What have you been up to, like as a coach right now? What What is your day to day? What's your routine with all this stuff? Um, so the only things that I really have scheduled are any meetings that um, operationally we need to have, like via Zoom. So uh, still, still chatting on Zoom with my, with Mike and Taylor and our athletic trainer and our strength conditioning coach. Once, like every week and a half now. We usually go once a week with like when we're around each other and when we're doing stuff. Uh, now we're doing it kind of like once every week and a half because our athletic trainer is still, um, there's still a couple kids that are rehabbing injuries. So I do like to keep up on that and see how they're doing. Um, are the, so the athletic trainers are able to help them through that? Are they able to give them workouts and kind of check in? Yeah, so our big one actually, we have a girl who's coming off of a surgery and she's actually local. So they're allowed as essential personnel to still meet with her in the training room. So she yeah. still goes like three times a week in person to do rehab. And then the rest of it is at home, like kind of virtual stuff. So we right. still chat probably once every 10 days via zoom. Uh, I talked to Mike and Taylor probably once uh, in an official capacity, once every like three days, we'll catch up just on a conference call on our iPhones um, just to see, Hey, what players have you checked in on? How are they doing? Stuff like that. Uh, Cause we make it a point to make sure we're checking in on all the players every week individually. So Mike will take a third of the team. Taylor takes a third and I take a third. And then whether it's just a text message conversation or a phone call conversation, we make sure that we touch base with the, our list of players every week. And then yeah. we'll touch base together to see everybody doing good. Is there anybody in particular struggling? Is there anybody who has a family thing going on? Whatever. Um, right now I'm doing a bunch of admission stuff with our incoming kids just to walk them through their admissions process. We have three kids that have to do like a, you know, a summer course as part of their admissions process, which is now going to be obviously vastly different because it's going to be all online now. Mm -hmm. um, so trying to walk them through, through their process, their kind of uncertain admissions process and what it's going to look like and what it's going to cost them because that, theoretically should change too since they're not in person staying in the dorms um so doing that and then just making sure that i'm staying in contact not only with the kids that are coming in this fall but we have five kids committed for 2021 already so making sure that i'm staying in contact with them and and just seeing how they're doing uh maybe giving them ideas over the phone of supplemental training that they can do and then the only other thing that honestly that I've been doing a lot for myself and I've been trying to touch on with Mike and Taylor about this is um, professional development. Like I've been trying to do a lot of professional development stuff. I've been uh, researching a lot of games. Um, you know, I just found out last week that YouTube has the entire 2002 
World Cup on their on YouTube. Um, wow. And it's all like HD quality. So there's two games in particular, USA against Mexico and USA Germany, where both teams were playing a 3-5-2, and that's the formation that we play. Mm-hmm. So I've, been, I've watched both of those games probably three times each, just trying to take away some notes of how they're playing because there's some unique stuff there. Um, like the U.S. in particular against Mexico played one of their best center midfielders, uh, a guy for, that played at University of Virginia, Claudio Reyna. They played him as a winger out wide on the right um, to use him kind of as an outlet because he's one of their best technical players and they, they knew mm-hmm. they could keep the ball. So I'm trying to look at things like that and see if there's anything that I could take, any ideas um, that maybe are a little bit different than how we've played it. Um, and then doing a lot of stuff like what Marty's been doing with the Zoom stuff. I, I do probably three of those a week with other coaches as well. Uh, Marty's is the, the, you know, the, the, team, the, the team leadership uh, culture stuff. But I do uh, one with my buddy Tim that I worked with at NC State and then Kevin at, at Loyola. We, we do a call every week talking about just professional development avenues that we've each kind of discovered and sharing that. Mm-hmm. So I got a couple of good websites that I've been logging into and getting memberships for for professional development stuff. I've really tried to – that's the part of my – that's the part where I feel like I've struggled with when you are like full go with your team, right? Like in the fall – it's just preparing for games constantly. And then in the spring, you're still training every morning at 6 a.m. Um, so you, I feel like you're kind of going nonstop. And then once the spring's over, you kind of want to recharge the batteries a little bit and, and kind of prepare yourself, spend time with your family and prepare yourself for preseason. Uh, so I feel like as I've gotten older and as I've taken on more responsibility in my positions, uh, my professional development has suffered a little bit. Mm-hmm. So I've been trying to use this time away from my team to be able to try to stay as connected with them as I can for sure. But then also spend more time with professional development stuff. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, if my nine to fives are a little bit more available now because I'm not in the office or at practice, um, maybe I can take time to watch a game or two during the day or watch some training sessions on YouTube or listen to, you know, yesterday I listened to a John Gordon podcast with uh Buzz Williams. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I took an hour to just sit down, listen to that, take some notes on it. Um, so I've been trying to do a lot of that. And then I've been trying to impress that upon Mike and Taylor as, as well. So you were, so you were at Iona as a head coach. Mm-hmm. Then, then from there went to NC state. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. And that was already maybe three jobs into my career for sure. Okay. So I started at Rutgers. Uh, was Where you played, right? You played at Rutgers. I was, I, I, yeah, I played at Rutgers. I, I started my coaching at Rutgers, um, you know, as a, as a player did not have a great career at Rutgers and, uh, wasn't a good enough player, ended up playing club mostly at Rutgers, uh, because I wasn't good enough. Um, but that also opened the door for me with coaching, which was great because I started coaching as an undergrad because probably because I wasn't a good enough player. Uh, to be honest, well, I never knew that. So let's pa- unpack that. So you go to Rutgers to play varsity division one. Mm-hmm. Um, how, how many years did you play on the varsity team? I was only there one year as, as yeah, I was with the team for one season. Yeah. Okay. And then you ended up playing club for three seasons. And then I ended up playing club for two seasons and, um, and ended up not playing my senior year. Part of it was injuries. I had some concussion problems going into college already. 
uh, actually from lacrosse. I got a bunch of concussions playing high school lacrosse. Um, but then also, um, but then also, uh, I started coaching at that point. I started coaching the women's club soccer team while I was an undergrad and we had a lot of success. Um, which I don't even know if I really recognized that during the time I was, uh, you know, they have the national, what is it? Nurse of the national, um, intramural and recreational sports association, I think is what it is for the club sports. Um, and I didn't realize at the time, but they had never been to the national Rutgers women's club soccer had never been to the national, to the NURSA national tournament. And we went a couple times while I was coaching them. Um, and I didn't really, um, I don't know if I really even thought into it that that was a level of a measure of success for them. Um, I knew they were excited about it. I was excited about it. I knew that you wanted to win regionals. I knew that so that you could go to nationals. Um, but I never really necessarily thought of it as being a big deal. Um, and, and then, uh, I think when I realized it was a big deal was when the women's varsity coach asked us to, or asked me to bring our club team in to scrimmage because they were looking for, uh, opportunities to work on some big sided stuff in practice. They said, you know, we would love to play against another team where it wouldn't necessarily count against our competitions. And obviously, if you bring in your club team from within your university, you can, you can write that off as a practice, and it doesn't necessarily have to count as a competition. So we started doing some scrimmaging against one another, and our club team did well against them. And we were successful against them as well. You mentioned not appreciating it. We, um, so I ended up playing, as I told you, I played a year of varsity lacrosse and then played three years of club lacrosse in college. And um, we ended up 20 – my junior year, we ended up winning the uh, – club lacrosse national championship and at, we like you said we were excited we were pumped we, it was it was great i'm not downplaying how fun it was and um since then uh so prior to that no club team at, at salisbury had ever won the national championship and since they haven't won i don't even know if they've been back and and what's funny is Honestly, it was only in the last few years that I did take a step back and say, like, at the time, maybe because it's club, I don't know, like, we downplayed it a little bit of, like, yeah, yeah this is awesome, and and it's it's whatever, right? But uh, but now looking at it, it's like, wow, like, okay, so that was, it's only almost appreciated in hindsight of, uh, of, of what you were able to create, and it's, and it's rare that you pat yourself on the back for something you did years and years and years ago, but I think it's important to do because you're right. It's a, an environment where you don't think about it too much. Well, I think, I think the biggest thing that I took out of that experience of coaching them was, um, was I had a lot of fun doing it. I mean, it was just a lot of fun. Like they, they, these were kids that were coming to practice. Um, you know, we were training, I want to say three nights a week, which I think for college club sports, that's, that's, it's pretty good. I mean, I was asking them to come and practice three nights a week and these girls were doing it and they were doing it willingly and they were having fun with everything that we were doing. I mean, they just, they had fun being at practice. They had fun being around each other. I got lucky, I think in the sense that, um, you know, for my first time ever coaching a group, the dynamic between the players was really good. And again, it was something that at the time, I don't think I really appreciated that. Now, as a career coach, looking back on it, I really appreciate it now um, because you realize how important dynamic is to, to success. 
uh, and to the ability to just enjoy what you're doing. Um, mm. I enjoyed coaching them. They enjoyed being around each other. They were coming to practice. They were excited to come to practice, you know, three times a week. And I think that positivity around the group manifested itself whenever we would play games. We'd have a lot of fun playing games. And thus, we had a lot of success. And, um, and I think, you know, for me, it was the ultimate introduction because I never really thought about a career in coaching. I mean, my playing career was always kind of trying to grasp at the next level, right? Like I went to Rutgers, um, you know, as a non-scholarship player, trying to make it on a very good division one team. I wasn't good enough. I spent the next two seasons after that first season, kind of back and forth between grappling for an opportunity with the varsity team and playing club soccer. Um, but wasn't, wasn't good enough. Um, but I knew I wanted to be at Rutgers. So the, 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 the thought of going to another school, um, you know, wasn't really an option for me because I always wanted to be at Rutgers. Um, you know, but um, I, I actually left. <laughs> I left Rutgers. It, it, I, had a, I had a very crazy undergrad experience because I left Rutgers after my first year and I did transfer out. I transferred to a Division three school in Pennsylvania, York College in PA, participated in preseason with them for two weeks and then went back to Rutgers. I, I just – it just didn't feel like home. I just, I didn't really, it was a form. I, I got hooked up with them because the, the coach at York was a former player at Rutgers. Um, he had played for my coach at Rutgers. So I got integrated with him. Um, but I just, I was like, you know what? I want to be at Rutgers. I want to, I want the degree from Rutgers. Uh, so I'm going to go back to Rutgers and I'm going to try to make it work. So after two weeks at York at preseason, I went back to Rutgers. That's um, interesting. So, uh, how long, so you, you left, when did you, how long were you at York? Two weeks, that's it? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. I, uh, so I think I, I, I was at Salisbury originally, uh, tried out for the lacrosse team there, got cut, and by, so my first semester at Thanksgiving break, I transferred to Mercyhurst, because Mercyhurst College at the time, university now in Pennsylvania, Division II school, was a, um, is a trimester school. So I remember calling the coach and saying, and I got cut from the team here. I'd love to come play for you guys. And he kind of said like, well, if, if you can, if you can get here, sure. Uh, and I don't know if, if that was a challenge or if that was just the reality of it, because I was going to have, I had to finish my classes early at Salisbury and then start classes at, at Mercier's. So even when I got to Mercier's, I was still finishing papers for Salisbury while starting classes at Mercier's and um, went there and played, played a season. Of, so I did end up playing a season of lacrosse there and loved the team, loved playing for Coach Ryan, loved being able to play. And like you said, with Rutgers, for me, you know, I kind of reflected on, I went to Salisbury because I loved the school yeah. and, and loved the location and loved like the, everything about it. Like I made a school decision and, and then I went to Mercier's purely for lacrosse. Yep. And so when I transferred back to Salisbury, I did end up trying out again for the varsity team, but at that rate I had already kind of made it up in my mind that when I first got cut, it was devastating. When I got cut a second time, it was honestly, it was whatever, because I had already kind of made up in my mind, like, you know what, 
the coach isn't asking me to come back. Yeah. Uh, I'm deciding to come try out. Uh, I'll, I'm going to work my butt out for it. And if I don't get it, I don't get it. And ended up playing club. And I think it, it probably informs, I never knew that part of your story, but it definitely informs when you and I have talked about even the recruiting process and kids deciding on where to go. Uh, it is so much more than just their skill set with soccer. It's a fit. It's a, it's a program. It's a, are you going to be happy here? if sports no longer a part of your life because what's that and are you going to be supported right like if, if yeah. you want to go to a place where you're going to be supported i think whether um whether you're a high achiever on the field or not right so that's the way i look at it like with with my players and how we build a roster is i'm going to i'm going to support every player on my roster um, whether they are my 90-minute leading goal scorer or whether they don't play a minute in, in the game. And I think, um, yeah, I think where I got that from was, one, from my, my father, who just – I learned so many life lessons from him when I had no idea that I was learning them, right? Like, um, and I think that's the way it is a lot of the times if you're fortunate enough to, to have – kind of, you know, a, a wise figure in your life when you're younger <laughs> mm -hmm. and you don't necessarily know that you're picking up these um, tidbits of gold. Um, but then also um, Coach Riasso at Rutgers, who, um, you know, when I went to, when I decided to go to Rutgers out of high school, you know, this was a different time of varsity athletics across the country. I mean, this was a long time. This was 20, 20 years ago where, you know, when I went there, um, it was very much like, Hey, you can come here. We'll let you practice with us. And essentially you have this, like, essentially you're on, you're, you're here on a, on a, tr almost like a protein, like a trial basis. And if we feel like we can use you or find a role for you, we'll use you and we'll find the role for you. If you can't, then we can't. Um, but when I left York after two weeks and came back to Rutgers, I came back knowing that my playing career in a sense was going to be over. I mean, cause mm -hmm. it's the same same scenario that, that you're saying, like you're, you're going back to a place where it's not like Coach Riasso was banging down my door saying, hey, you know what? We really need you to come back. Right. Um, you know, he let me go or he, he helped me move on in the first place because he knew York probably would have been a better fit for me. Um, so when I came back, I came back for a lifestyle decision, for an academic decision for sure. That was a big part of it was the degree. Um, you know, because of fit, because it was the, because that was the place since the time I was a little kid where I always knew I wanted to go. And that's the place where I knew I wanted to, I wanted to graduate from. And mm -hmm. when I left, it just didn't feel right. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I could have, I probably could have stayed at York. I probably could have had a great career at York. I mean, I had a really good first two weeks of preseason, uh, yeah. but I just, I do look back on it now as um, probably one of the best decisions I ever made in my life, which was really hard at the time. Cause it's hard to, up and leave a place after two weeks, you feel like you're letting people down, right? Like I went through this entire process of having multiple conversations with the coach and this is where I'm coming. And he helped me with the admissions process. And then I, he helped me with the housing process and I found a place to live and I moved in with teammates. And then all of a sudden I was leaving and you feel like, man, I'm ready. Yeah. You feel like you're leaving all these people hanging, right? Like I felt really bad. Um, but then I remember having a conversation with the coach who was a Rutgers grad. And, and I told him, I just said, listen, it just doesn't feel right. Like I want to go back to Rutgers. 
And <laughs> he made me feel better because he said to me, yeah, I was wondering why you even came here in the first place, to be honest. That's funny. <laughs> and I was like, okay, well, now I don't feel as bad. He, he kind of understands. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's funny. You, you, you cut it after two weeks, which maybe was admirable. I, uh, I stayed a whole season, played. I ended up, as a freshman, I, I got on the field only because um, I ended up being a second-line midfielder and the guy in front of me got hurt. So, so I ended up getting quite a bit of playing time. And, and, uh, I remember all the whole time I was there, I was, I don't want to say miserable, but I wasn't, I wasn't happy. I wasn't where I, where I wanted to be again, outside of lacrosse. Um, there wasn't much there that, that brought me joy and nothing against the school, just for me personally, yeah. like said, York's a great place. Just wasn't for you. Yeah. And so what's funny is I remember two things happened. Number one, my parents and brother came to visit to watch a game and my brother wanted to buy a hoodie for, for Merciers. And, and my parents said, no, you're not, cause he was younger. They go, you're not allowed to buy a hoodie cause we don't know how long Bobby's going to be here. <laughs> so they had insight that it might not last. And then, um, our lacrosse team bought these, like it was optional to buy these really cool, like boathouse jackets, like, you know, yeah. like, and like sideline jackets. And I decided not to buy one. And, uh, and my parents at that point had already made the hoodie comments. So they obviously knew. And then, um, I had, uh, it wasn't even a teammate. It was like another student, this girl, uh, we were just talking one time. She's like, you didn't get a jacket. And I was like, no. And she goes, you're leaving. And I hadn't even made a decision yet. And I didn't want anyone to know. I was really self-conscious about it. I was like, what are you talking about? Like, I'm happy here. And she's like, okay, bullshit. Like, you didn't. Yeah, <laughs> and, uh, and sure enough, yeah, I remember it was hard to go in and, talk to the coach and tell him because he'd, he'd been great to me. He opened his arms when I got cut. And, uh, and, and I remember I, I wasn't a part of preseason or fall and to hit the field. I was, I was honored and shocked by that. And I had a lot of gratitude to him and his staff. And, and uh, you just, you feel like you, like you said, you feel like you're letting people down. And it's interesting the way everything works out, you know, and it's interesting. I do have a lot of gratitude for my entire, um, for my entire experience at, at Rutgers, the experience of leaving. Um, I think a lot of the things, a lot of the positions that I ended up, and I think I did this inadvertently, right? Cause I think I was young and I didn't know any better, but I look back on it now. And I think some of the positions I put myself in allowed me to develop a very strong sense of appreciation for anything. Um, Cause I remember when I first got to Rutgers, um, and it was on this like very kind of informal non-committal basis from like from the coaching staff there uh but then i remember coach riasso turning to me and saying you're going to come on the first road trip and we went out to play university of pittsburgh and he's like all right now you know everybody else had gotten their gear at the beginning of preseason i hadn't gotten anything because it was this very kind of like informal non-committal thing of are we going to use them are we not going to use them um and then he says to me go to the go to Gene in the gear room and go get all your travel gear. And at that point I'm getting like the last bits of the travel gear. Right. I weighed like a buck 19. I was five, four by five. And I get like these size, like 36, like, you know, shorts to wear these like size 36 golf shorts and the size like large polo. And I'm like cinching the golf shorts with, with a belt and tucking the polo into the golf shirt. And I was like, I don't care. I'm just happy. I'm just happy to be here. I'm happy to, to, to be a part of it and I'll do whatever, you know, whatever I need to do, uh, yeah. to make it, to make it work. And it was, um, you know, and I don't know, I, I, I wouldn't have had experiences like that 
if I had gone somewhere maybe where I could have been more of a factor immediately from stepping foot on campus. Um, I think leaving even for the short period of time that I did leave for and then coming back, it allowed me to see really how good things were uh, where I was, uh, you know, and at the time, I think when I decided to leave, I left for soccer reasons. And I thought, you know, my life is only going to be what I'm able to accomplish on the field. And then um, I think in a very short period of time, learned the, the, the important lesson of that's just a part of it. Um, and then all of a sudden I come back to campus. I'm still, you know, training with the varsity team, training with the club, you know, training and playing with the club team, kind of doing both living in this like duality of doing both. And then the opportunity comes about to, um, I was also doing a work study, working in the gym and the opera. And I find out through like the, the, you know, six degrees of separation that the women's club team needs a coach. And then all of a sudden I start coaching and now here I am 17 years later, still coaching college soccer. And, um, you know, I, it's funny when you look back on it, all the little things that kind of had to fall into place for me to get to where I am today. Um, and it's a re it, it, and I think the funniest part that I look back on and I'm really open about with people is I'm really happy about my career. I'm, I love coaching. I love working with players. I love the game. I love teaching. Um, I love using the game as a vehicle to teach bigger things, more important things, life lessons. Um, I don't know if I ever would have done that if I was a good player. Mm -hmm. You know, if I was an elite player, um, if I was a really good player for Rutgers playing on, on the varsity team, you know, with a quote unquote normal career, I don't know if I ever would have started coaching. I don't know if I would have had the time um, to be able to, go do nights away, uh, 7 to 9 p.m., working with a, sometimes 9 to 11 p.m., coaching a, a women's club college team. I don't know if I ever would have been able to do that. And I think I, I, I actually think that part of the reason why I ended up getting into coaching is because I wasn't a good player. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just – it's ironic. It's, it's, yeah. it's, really, it's, it's really ironic in that sense. But I also think – maybe because I wasn't a good player, I had that drive and that passion to try to figure out a way to always try to pull the best out of all my players. And I think most importantly, to make sure that every player knows that they have a role that they're appreciated and that they're not, um, their importance to what we're trying to do as a whole is never going to be based on the amount of minutes that they play, because that would be hypocritical of me. I mean, mm -hmm. I can count on one hand the number of minutes I played when I was in college. So I could never be the kind of person that approaches my team, looks at my team and starts to judge individuals by the amount of minutes they play for our team. That's, and, and honestly, I think my, at my core, I feel like the opposite is true. I think our most influential players on our team are usually the kids that don't play a lot of minutes. Um, mm -hmm. because I think that's usually where you develop your sense of as a group, your sense of appreciation from. Uh, yeah, well, it's, I mean, you know, on, on the call two weeks ago that we had that Marty set up, you know, we talked about culture and they said one of the coaches spoke up and said it's culture is the like worst behavior that you tolerate. And I didn't at the time I didn't love, I guess, the negative connotation that that has. But once you really unpack it and think about it, it's 100 percent true. You know, if uh, and I only bring that up because typically 
it, it could be your absolute best player who gets away with murder because yeah. they're great. And a lot of times it's players on the end of the bench who aren't getting a lot of playing time. I've worked with a number of teams where those are the players that start to create this sense of, of, of hate towards the coach or the coaching staff or grumblings or whatever. And when you're a part of teams where even those individuals that can count their minutes on one hand are the biggest raving fans or the biggest like promoters of the culture are the biggest leaders. That's really powerful because it does create that sense. Like you said, your time, your, your, your playing time, your skill, your ability on this team is not connected to your influence, your leadership, to, to your experience. Even mm -hmm. um, You mentioned how, you know, be, not being a good player led you to, to be in this, a coach and this type of coach and it's you know i look at what i do and i think number one by getting cut i learned the value of being a part of a team uh when i when i went to play for the club team my first practice my roommate and i his name was robbie we were the obbies um we went out and uh and we both walked away and said that's not like this isn't the kind of lacrosse i want to play we just looked we looked down on it ironically because that year neither of us really got much playing time on the club team when we decided to play because coming to find out they were really good but you know the varsity team plays at a stadium with turf and they got nice jerseys the club team pull across all mismatched helmets and gloves around a dirt field and no one's really in incredible shape um because like that was the the difference between us and the varsity really um but my point <laughs> is we go in and and uh uh, so I, I came to appreciate the, the team camaraderie and my junior year when we won the whole thing, I look back and say it was one of the best cultures I've ever been a part of um, from, from top to bottom. We had 80 guys on the roster because it was a club team and everybody was invested in, in the game and the team. Um, we ran our own playing time because we didn't have, you know, we had an undergrad similar to you. We had an undergrad coach and, and so all that kind of stuff, gave me a greater appreciation for what I do now. And, and then also my experiences outside of sport in student government is when I was introduced to leadership development. I wasn't introduced to any of this stuff as a player. Yeah. I was introduced to this as a, as a, just a regular student. I ended up being the leadership intern for the office of student activities. And, and that became my first job was working in student activities a world. I did not even know existed. And, and so you do look back and say, Oh, I wanted more than anything to be a phenomenal lacrosse player and to play professional, not for the money in the world of professional lacrosse, but just because I love the sport. And, and, and so because of that, I did everything, everything we teach I did to help make myself a better player. And, and then, you know, the core of what we, what we teach of this culture and connection side of things for me is because after the peak performance stuff, that's the stuff that really mattered and not to say the peak performance stuff isn't important or bad, but let's do that. And in the end of the day, the whole point of this is, is the team and the connection and your own personal growth that you take from it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting. It's interesting how what you go through really shapes your philosophies for sure. Um, <laughs> and so, I mean, listen, I, I had an unconventional, um, lead into coaching for sure. Um, because I think I was getting into coaching during a time when many coaches were coming from a, a vastly different background where it was, you played, you were a successful player and then you became coach. And, mm -hmm. um, and then I came in in a very, in a very different way. 
But I think when I joined the coaching staff at Rutgers uh, on the varsity side, um, it was after our club team had, you know, competed against the varsity team a few times. Um, Glenn Crooks, who was the head coach there at the time, had a uh, he's he's an he's an incredible guy, one of the nicest people in the game, and he had a great run as the head coach at Rutgers. Um, went to a, I, I can't even I don't even know how many NCAA tournaments they went to. I mean, he just did a really good job building that program. Um, but he had an opening on his staff. He had seen firsthand what what we were able to kind of build with the club team. So he invited me onto his staff and gave me an opportunity to coach a varsity team, and. Um, and that was, uh, it was, it was, it was an incredible experience, but it was so different from what, from how a lot of other coaches had gotten into the game. Um, but I think because of my background, where I was coming from one, I was already bringing some experience that a lot of the times young people who take those lower positions on a coaching staff don't bring because they're usually coming straight off of a playing career and they, they have no coaching experience. I had already had a little, at least a little bit of coaching experience, um, running sessions, leading a team, making in-game decisions. Um, but I also had, the, I also had a massive appreciation for where I was. I mean, I was probably at the time the most thrilled, unpaid <laughs> assistant coach yeah. in the country. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, which then allowed me to parlay it into a, a paid position on that staff, which was great. I mean, I remember when I got offered a salary at Rutgers and it was like the best day of my life. Um, and I think sometimes, you know, when you look at, when you look at other coaches who maybe get into the profession off of these exceptional coaching careers, things like that, it's not, it's not the same. You don't get, you don't get that same level of appreciation. I mean, I remember interviewing a young lady for my assistant coaching position when I was, it was before I hired Taylor when I was at Iona. And I remember she said to me, um, well, I, you know, I, she, she had played at a, at a very good ACC school. She was a national player of the year candidate when she was a player. And then she had gone overseas and played professionally for a year. And listen, my, my assistant coaching job at Iona was not exactly the most lucrative assistant coaching job in the country. But I remember her saying to me, um, I'm going to, I appreciate the offer. I'm going to sit on it. I'm going to wait because I think I can get a better offer because of my playing experience. And I was just like, okay, like you, I'm offering you a top assistant job division one and you've never coached before. So I do want you to understand that. Um, And I said, listen, that's not necessarily how I really operate. Like, I don't think we're probably the right fit then if that's what you want to do and I'll move on. I'll find somebody else. And that's ultimately how I ended up finding Taylor. And, uh, and Taylor was driving two hours each way for six grand a year, uh, to be our assistant coach at, at Iona. And that's the kind of person I needed. And that's the kind of person I was, I was looking for, but I, you know, it's funny. There was more of the first kind of person there. I mean, Taylor was a person like Taylor was hard to find really hard. Yeah. To find. Well, I think a lot of coaches don't, I, I've made a point of having that conversation with every coach that I interviewed for this, of, of kind of the journey because a lot of coaches, young coaches don't appreciate that that is the journey. I coached, so I did want to coach at one point. And um, my first coaching position was an assistant coach at Hartford Community College. And it was 1200 bucks for the whole year stipend. And we recruited, and we played weekends and nights and you name it. Like we were junior college, but we 
if you, you play no coach no different than if you're D1. Yeah. And the head coach was a guy named Hugh Donovan, who uh, was a former professional lacrosse player, uh, got out of lacrosse and coaching for a long time, was in a different career, wanted to get back into coaching. He was making five grand a year. Uh, he's got two kids at home and, and, and he's, and he's coaching, he's got a day job and then he's coaching Juco. And a lot of people looked at him and like, what are you crazy? Like, you know, he, he played, he won championships in the ma in major league lacrosse. So like, you know, uh, you're, what the heck are you doing here? And he was like, nobody else offered me a job. Where else am I supposed to go? And, and he's, he's, he actually ended up at York and he was head coach at Immaculata. And now he's at um, university of Pennsylvania. So he's, he's, he's moved up the ladder and this guy started making five grand a year driving. He lived in, um, I think he lived in habit of grace. So he was, you know, or no, I forget, but he, he was driving quite a, quite a distance to get to HCC. And, uh, and, and there's, and the guy there now at HCC, um, is, is an individual who I think is a phenomenal coach. He's about my age, so he's got a journey left in front of him. But I think I think he's going to be a great T1 coach someday, and I guarantee you he's making the same five grand a year. Uh, <laughs> and that's what it takes. From the Delaware side of things, uh, I wanted to kind of talk a little bit about – so you get to Delaware as a head coach in, uh, what, 2017? What was your first year, 2016, 2017? 20... 17, 17, 18, 19. Yeah, this was my third okay. year. So. Mm -hmm. What And what did you inherit when you got there? Like, what type of program did you inherit, and what type of program did you seek to build? Um, I think – so So when I got there, from, from, a, from a sheerly soccer perspective, it was an inexperienced group, I think, um, from the sense of there was no experience in uh, success. So we, I did inherit a large senior class. So I guess from a surely from a minutes played standpoint, we had some experience on the roster, um, but we didn't have any meaningful experience with regards to actually being successful and what it takes to be successful on the field. From a culture standpoint, um, you know, it, it's actually funny. It reminded me a little bit more of my first job coaching women's club soccer at Rutgers. I mean, it was more of, the, the, the atmosphere was an atmosphere of this is, this is a place that you come to every day um, because you like it and it's easy and it's more of a hobby than it is a lifestyle for sure. Mm -hmm. like, I think I, I think I walked into a place where playing soccer was a hobby for the players on the team and not, not a lifestyle decision. You know, it was, we came to the university of Delaware because of the academic profile, because of the social opportunities, and oh yeah, I, I play soccer too sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it was kind—I think it was kind of like that, to be honest. I don't think it, I don't think that was every player on the roster, um, but I think that was probably the overarching um, environment. That's literally what your so the seniors that I had a chance to work with my first time last season—they um, almost said the exact same thing when I asked them because they because they were a group of people, right. That experienced the former team and then your team. Yeah. And, uh, and they said exactly the same thing. It wasn't every play, obviously because for them, um, they, you had, you had such buy-in for what you wanted to create because of those couple seniors really that were just, that didn't came to a school really not 
focused so much on soccer. And then when you came on board, shifted their mindset to say, we're, we're down with this. We want to, we want to be a part of what's being built here. So that's exactly what they shared. Uh, yeah. It wasn't everybody, wasn't necessarily toxic. It just wasn't brought into um, as you know, creating a winning program. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would agree with that. I mean, I don't think it was necessarily toxic. I think it was certainly functional within, um, within what it was. Right. Yeah. Um, if it was, if it was a place that you wanted to be at and just kind of have fun playing and, but do it on your own terms, uh, without any real expectations, then yeah, it was fine. It was functional. It was, that was fine. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, different, I would say vastly different from what it is now. But I think honestly, Bobby, when you asked me about like the intentionality of maybe bringing people into our program from the outside, like when we decided to uh, begin the partnership with you, yeah, I mean, the, the, that decision to want to utilize you guys happened about, like you said, about a year before we actually did um, because that previous year, that year leading up to it, I, I didn't think we were there. The little things that we needed you know, walking into all these different environments, they weren't quite, the environments didn't quite mirror what I felt the environment should look like in my head. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't feel like we were quite there yet. You know, like we were at a place where we were, we still had to remind them maybe to, to, to be off their cell phone during a team meal. You know what I mean? And so in my, in my mind, I'm like, okay, well, uh, we do a team meeting, uh, or I bring in this, this outside person, um, I, I, I can't make that investment in that, in that, I can't make that, that, that time and that financial investment in bringing Bobby into work with our group. If I don't think every player within the group is going to be plugged into what he's, uh, um, to what he's trying to, to do. Um, mm -hmm. so I felt like, you know, for, for lack of a better, maybe analogy, I felt like we had to be at a place where, our team, you know, didn't have to be, uh, or, or we had to be at a place where we were not distracted by anything else to be able to fully take in the environment that we were in. And I think going into this past season, I think we were finally there. I think we were finally at a place where we were ready to be in the moment, in every moment. Well, I know, I know you've shared this with me before, and I'll ask you to share it again because I want to, I think um, – I'm honored every time you, you share this and I think it'd be helpful for other coaches to hear. Um, what would you say the impact was of, of our programming over the past season? Uh, immeasurable. If I'm being honest, um, I, I, I think again, you have an idea of like, okay, our team is ready for this. Uh, they're ready to take the next step in their, uh, in their personal holistic development and their team holistic development. Um, you know, they're ready to take the next step in being responsible for their team culture. I think they under they're finally at a point where they understand how important a, um, a positive team culture is. Um, so again, I think going into, going into the start of our partnership, I had an idea of in my mind of, if our roster is really ready for this, if I'm right about this, then uh, we should be able to get that extra push that we need um, in the right direction. Um, that is something that is, you know, maybe not my area of expertise. And what mm -hmm. I would say is I think that the impact that your program has made with our team 
was immeasurable. But I do believe that a lot of it had to do with both you and I working together to make sure that it was the right time for what we were doing. I think that was such a big part of it. And I think we together by sharing information with one another, I think we got that right. Mm -hmm. Um, I think we hit the kids at at, at the right time. Um, But because I think we hit them at the right time, they were like sponges. I think they took in everything that we were both asking them to take in with regard to what the program was. Um, I think you helped lay, you helped add a layer of perspective um, that I think they needed. Uh, and, and, and I think your program is designed to do that. And, mm-hmm. um, and then I think as a coaching staff, we also knew it was the right time. We were really invested in the messaging um, and the direction that your program helps lead a team. So then when you left campus, we were still trying to um, apply the same principles uh, throughout the course of the season. Uh, I think over the course of this past competitive season, over the course of this past fall, after we did the initial workshop in August, Bobby, I think you and I were in contact pretty regularly, probably once every two weeks, even mm-hmm. if it was just a short conversation by phone, um, you know, going over either what we were doing to uh, continue to integrate ideas uh, or what else we could be doing to continue to integrate the ideas. But, um, but the, the, the impact of the program was, was immeasurable. And I think the best part about the program is it, it doesn't have to end. I think the program can, can continue to evolve for your team in any, in really in any way that you want it to. And, 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 and so I think that that's also for me been the most, um, I I guess not, I don't want to say surprise, but the most pleasant part about this partnership is we've been able to work together to evolve this program into something that we can continue to utilize and continue to see benefit from. Um, So it's unlike a lot of other programs that I had vetted in the past or been um, exposed to in the past, because a lot of them it's, it's more maybe lecture based and Hey, here, here's our spiel. Go think about that. Go stew on that for a little bit. Right. And, um, and this really in, in so many ways, this isn't a, um, this isn't, um, this isn't, I would even say it's not even a, it's not even as much a program as it is a partnership because it's constantly evolving. Uh, I mean, even down to what we did last week with our team via that zoom session. I mean, that was something that you and I had chatted about. We had shared ideas about. Um, and I, and I do feel like that session was uniquely geared to our team. And I think, you know, all in all, I think the, the, the best part about, our partnership um, has been that it's you've done such a great job about being open. And I think you're such a, uh, an experienced facilitator of, of your, um, of your program that it becomes this fully customizable experience for whatever a, uh, for whatever any unique group needs. Um, Never once have I felt like, what we've done with our team has been this uh, generic presentation, if you will. It's, it's, it's not, it's this customized experience specifically for specifically to touch on, on our group uh, and, and what they need. And I just think that's the mark of a, of an experienced facilitator. I do, you know, I, I don't think, you know, you, you know how to, you know how to read the group, 
you know how to connect with, with the group. And so then the, the experience for my team becomes this unique, fully customized experience that can evolve as time goes on. So that it really is a partnership and not just a presentation that I'm buying. Right. Yeah. Like what you do with our group is not something that they can click on a video and watch. It's not the same. Right. And, and, and a lot of the times when you, when you, you know, throughout the course of my career, 17 years of coaching college soccer, um, working with college players, working with pro players, you see a lot of um, ideas for team building that are just uh, kind of like a, a one-stop shop. And, um, and it's, not, it's not customizable for the needs of the individuals within the group. And I think to be able to, you know, we talk a lot about team building, but I think sometimes the things that we forget are the teams are made up of individuals. So you have to grow them as a unit but you only, you can only do that if you touch on them individually. And I feel like the way that you facilitate your program touches on every single one of the individuals within our group and allows them to grow uh, closer as a group. Mm -hmm. Um, So I appreciate, I would say I appreciate your trust with the partnership because you're, you're 100% right in the sense that what we do is not, we have, we have a, uh, a, a structure. We have an idea. We have a lot of, of content to pull from and resources of doing facilitation for years and years and years. And Ryan and I putting both our heads together too. And um, I specifically remember the second workshop I did with your team. I had asked you to schedule it for two hours and um, went in with a plan and started like I do every workshop by saying to the players. Um, you know, cause we were, you were halfway through your season at that point. So I said, um, let's talk about what's working, what's not working and what we need to do differently moving forward. Like that's how we start. And within 10 minutes, the conversation was really focused on the players needing to have conversations with each other. Um, which is what I call feedback, right? It's yeah. sharing with each other what they need from each other. So I had no intention of doing that process. And, and, and I was like, you know, what? let's set it up. We get up, set it up. And, and what ended up happening was it was a really cool process, but we're done 30 minutes early. And I felt really good about how we served the team. And uh, I didn't know how you were going to feel. I didn't know you, like we knew each other well enough. But this is only our second time working together that I was a little bit worried about like, ah, like I think this was really good. And I hope as a coach, you're not looking at it as well. You're shortchanging my team a half hour. And, and, uh, and as a coach, I'm all about time efficiency, dude. I know. Right? Well, yeah, to your credit, you didn't, you didn't care. Uh, and you trusted that what we did, you know, mattered. And quite frankly, I think the third workshop I went over by 15 minutes. So I probably made up for it. But, uh, <laughs> but it definitely, um, you know, and in this, in this era of social distancing, we've had a lot of people who haven't worked with us, uh, well-meaning people who have said, well, you know, you just got to put your stuff online. And, and there's certainly things we can put online. I have my podcast. Uh, we have recordings we could do about concepts of leadership and team. But I think what we really have stood by for years is we are not teaching this stuff. We are facilitating a process. Like you said, like that is, for us, it's a nuance that matters. Um, when we say we're not motivational speakers, we are facilitators. And, and, it's, and so that's where we've challenged ourselves to say, you know what, how can we facilitate this over, over Zoom? And it's not perfect. I personally don't think anything replaces in person or will ever. 
and and what can we do to make this work and make it effective and and yeah i think uh, you and i had a lot of conversations about that zoom session we put together and and i think it was uh, it was as effective as we can be right over zoom instead of taking them through some some powerpoint i did a little bit of that and then it was let's get the players talking to each other via this platform and have the code you shared too which was really great and um it's been a cool journey for us uh, i've done a handful of those now with different teams and this weekend i'll be doing my first one with a team we've never worked with and uh what I love about coaching is we come to them as a recommendation. So there's, there's that trust uh, once again uh, to say, like, just facilitate this conversation with our players. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, um, you know, it's funny. I think we've been lucky to have, um, I guess, to start with you in the more traditional route, right. <laughs> where, where we were able to be in person, uh, yeah. do a few sessions in person but then to uh, make this transition now um, onto Zoom, I actually think it's been a unique and uh, kind of refreshing challenge for our players. I actually think it's been, um, you know, and you can spin it to be a really good thing. I mean, obviously, I, would, I agree with you. I don't think anything replaces in person. I would love to do everything in person, whether it's training my team, team building, whatever it is, I would love to do that in person. But, um, you know, I think when you do things on, on via Zoom, you really need to try. Like the effort really needs to be there from every party, um, not just from the facilitator, but from myself as the, the coach to every single one of my players. You really got to be invested to make something work via distance. And, um, and so I think it's been really cool because – the players, I think, in many ways have to step outside um, their comfort zone a little bit to hit, like, the unmute button and start talking. And, yeah. um, and it's, it's, it's pretty cool. It's, it's yeah. pretty cool. It's a, it's a cool little um, wrinkle on the, on, on the, on the program that, that I like. I mean, obviously, I think probably speak for everybody when I say I can't wait for things to – uh, settle down a little bit and allow us to get back to whatever our new normal is. But, um, but I think it's a really unique way to get, to still get all the things that we need as a group um, over, you know, in, in a more modern, <laughs> I guess in a more modern, you know, technological way. And I think too, you mentioned kind of the, the comfort confidence outside your comfort zone. It takes to hit on you hundred percent agree. Um, I've experienced that on the calls that we're on. Like there's something to hitting on you and, and having to get everybody's attention that it's like in your head, it's like, man, I better have something pretty good to share here. And, uh, and, and so the players are doing that with their teammates. And on top of it, I received, I always get after a training or a workshop, I'll get a couple of text messages or emails from players, um, either appreciation or questions. In doing these Zooms with multiple teams, I've received more emails in the last couple of weeks than ever before. And what that tells me is how appreciative the players are of even the hour that we do together. Yeah. And I think there's now that now that people are isolated, there's there is that appreciation for community, that appreciation for connection, that appreciation for team. And they understand the intentionality too. My theme last week or whenever we did it was that, you know, every, everybody's going through this right now. Yeah. So you're going to show up. Let's in the fall, let's hope 
we're showing up in August. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and, and if you sit back and say, well, of course we aren't, you know, we made a lot of strides as a team coming together, our commitments, you know, last season, but then this, this, you know, COVID-19 thing happened. So obviously we took a step back. Some teams are going to say that. And then there's going to be a handful of teams that say, because of COVID-19, we came together in a more strong and powerful way. And those are the teams that, like I said, you know, you're, you're leading them and saying, let's have these conversations. And they're coming together stronger because there's a greater appreciation for this kind of stuff. And so you're right. Uh, it, it really is. It has been cool to see how the players engage in this platform. Yeah. I mean, it's been, it's, uh, it's been unique for sure. Um, but, but appreciated, you know, I think, um, listen, I, I will tell you from my perspective, personally, I am so thankful that we, that you and I, and my, my team and your, uh, and your program have this ongoing relationship during this time, because, um, the time, the times that we're going through right now, they are unique. They're unprecedented. And uh, they present these unique challenges. Um, but I do feel uh, a sense of comfort knowing that um, we have, as, as, as a team, myself, my coaching staff, my players, and you, that we are all working together to continue to prioritize connection. Mm -hmm. um, and I think a, a massive part of why we are all bought into that is because we've seen um, the fruits of that uh, previously. So we know how important it is. Um, you know, if, if, we, if we hadn't done previous um, workshops with you and seen uh, how impactful they are, um, you know, I, 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 I don't, you know, I don't know if I would have such a clarity in the direction that I want to take my team right now. Um, and, and my, my direction that I want to take the team, it's, it's for me, it's crystal clear right now, which is unbelievably comforting for me as a leader. You know, I don't question myself. I question myself about everything, man. I question myself about what I'm going to have for breakfast. Um, <laughs> but, I, you know, I, I'm, you know, when it comes to prioritizing connection, communication and connection during, during this uncertain time that we're going through right now, I have not questioned that not one time. And uh, so for me, it makes me you know, I have an incredible sense of ease and comfort knowing that I feel like uh, the direction that myself and my staff are taking with our program is the right direction. Um, yeah. I think a lot of that has to do with, with you know, the, the history that we already have developed with you guys. Well, and I want to honor that you're a coach who, as soon as this kind of was coming down the pike of, of COVID-19 and coronavirus and all that it meant, um, you were one of the first coaches prior to even states and, and, and entire universities calling things off. One of the first coaches to say, you know what, like, let's, let's prioritize health. Let's prioritize family. Don't worry about soccer right now. And that you and I talked that first week that the players were sent home and all that was on your mind was ensuring that the players are safe, taken care of, and that their mental state is healthy. You were one of the first coaches I talked to who said, um, not the only, uh, I've talked to other coaches since who have said the same thing, but you said, you know, uh, if I start sending them soccer drills, and this was before the NCAA weighed in on anything, and you said, if I start sending them soccer drills and, and, and routines and things to do, that's, that's naive to the reality that this is a real-world problem. Yeah. And, and I think that 
how we respond in these times is is indicative of how we respond in all times like who you are at the lowest level of your program is who you are at the highest level of your program and so we started this whole conversation with you saying how you know because of your experiences in college you have come to appreciate the human connection of sports and how being you know a soccer player's worth on your team isn't about their playing time or their skill and you are proving that now in your response to this um kevin dempsey is another coach who's a friend of yours at loyola i talked to him a couple days after you and he really the conversation was the same uh just focused on the players as individuals and as people um you connected me to AM. that staff is the same uh their their focus is on the players when i got on when i hopped on with them for a zoom i hopped on with the coaches the day before i did with the team and and i said how you guys doing and they said we miss our players yeah. like it was a genuine almost sadness like we just miss being with our players day in and day out and i think that is just uh, you cannot fake that and you cannot replace that in coaching yeah no, 100%, 100%, Bobby, it's true. I mean, I know that we miss we miss our players a ton. It's just we we have a really – we have a great group. We have a great group. Numbers one through number 26, they're all, they're all great kids. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to be away from them uh, because they really do become family. Um, and so it's, it's hard. Um, but at the end of the day, I'm, I'm – I'm, I'm happy to know that they're all in good places, that they're all safe, they're all healthy, uh, that their families are doing well. Um, and, you know, we're going to continue to prioritize communication and connection. And, um, and then hopefully, you know, this thing subsides sooner rather than later and we're able to kind of get back to whatever the new normal is, but, but get back to being around one another and continuing to build the family outside of the family. And I think, um, right now that that's that's all we can do but there's you know i think listen i think good people breed good people right you know like i will tell you that kevin dempsey you know i worked with him for four or five years now at the college of charleston um the majority probably 99 percent of how i am and who i am as a as a leader and as a coach came from came from kevin um mm -hmm. Kevin's an amazing person. Kevin is also surrounded by a bunch of amazing people. I think it's because amazing people uh, have a tendency to attract others, other like-minded people. Um, so, you know, I can't wait to get around to get around the players because um, they're a bunch of really good kids. They bring out the best of me, and uh, I'm excited to get I'm excited to get them back together because uh, I do <laughs> I miss you know I'm I'm here with my family. I'm here with my boys, but I miss um, I miss that side of my family. Mm -hmm. So, well, that, that leads us to our, um, my last question of any interview that I do now, um, <laughs> podcast or wherever this ends up, uh, is, you know, my tax talk that I did that I've talked to you about and the title of my podcast is 50 cups of coffee, the concept of just connecting for the sake of connecting. It's not for networking. It's not for climbing a ladder and it can sometimes lend itself to that. So I'll always ask every guest or coach or anybody I interview, to end with, do you have a cool uh, or just a, what I call a 50 cups of coffee story? So it's because you connected with someone, it led to something. Uh, it doesn't have to be profound or grand or a cool story. It could even be how you met, you know, the, the coaching college uh, at Rutgers or how you connected with Kevin or how you connected with your buddy at NC State, whatever it is. Um, do you have a story 
that's just a good kind of, I, I, I ask these so that hopefully people listening are, you know, this is going to go really specifically to coaches, but I'm going to share it with anybody too, um, are encouraged to make connection a priority. So that's why I ask it. Do you have anything that comes to mind? Yeah, you know, it's it's probably maybe not necessarily in the same realm of what maybe you've heard in the past. Um, it's But it's my personal story of probably the most important connection that I've ever made in my life and and maybe not realizing it at the time. Um, you know, and I, and I didn't, I never really thought about this until last year's 2018 season. Um, we were playing, we were getting ready to play a game at St. John's. It was going to be a nationally televised game. And the St. John's, uh, the, the big East was televising the game. So the, uh, the, the broadcaster called me the day before to ask me some questions about our team and um, learn a little bit about our program. And one of the things that he asked me was um, what was one of the greatest parts about being an undergrad at Rutgers? Uh, what was the greatest parts about like Rutgers, Rutgers soccer? You know, you came from Rutgers soccer. What's the greatest part about Rutgers soccer? And um, that was when it kind of dawned on me and I had kind of like that light bulb moment. Um, I said the greatest thing that, uh, my experience as an undergrad and as a coach at Rutgers gave me was something that they probably never knew that they gave me. Um, when I was young, um, you know, probably from 1988 to 1998, probably ten, a good 10 year span. I don't think my dad and I ever missed a Rutgers soccer home game. Uh, every Friday night, all fall long, from August through November, we would be at Rutgers watching a Rutgers soccer game on a Friday night. And uh, honestly, I never thought about it until that interview that the greatest thing that Rutgers ever gave me was not my diploma. It was not a job. Um, it afforded me a connection with my father uh, hmm. because I look back on that and, um, you know, he has – I think maybe like many parents and children, um, you know, your relationship fluctuates times when it's really, really good. Um, maybe when you're young and you lack perspective times when it's not as good. Um, and, um, but my, I remember, I remember vividly the experience of sitting up in the stands with my father, watching those teams play. Uh, and even in moments where uh, we didn't always see eye to eye on things, the way that we would bond uh, over a game that we both loved um, and just sharing those 90 minutes together uh, in the stands. Or maybe when I was a young kid, my dad sitting up in the stands by himself while he handed me over the railing to the Rutgers assistant coach so that I could go be a ball boy during the game. And mm -hmm. I looked back on that and the times that my dad sat by himself up in the stands because his five-year-old kid was running around on the sidelines as a ball boy. Um, you know, my dad and I are where we are today with our relationship. I think, you know, I think that was a huge part of, of the building of our relationship. Um, so when I think about connection and I think about relationship building and the power of that, um, I think about all those nights that we spent up in the metal bleachers at Yershak Field at Rutgers University watching, watching that game. And, and anytime somebody ever – asked me about my experience at Rutgers or what do you think about Rutgers or it never comes back to the games. It never comes back to, 
you know, a class that I took, um, it always comes back to thinking about those nights sitting with my dad on Friday nights at Rutgers, watching that team play. And the moments where they would score a big goal in overtime and we would be jumping up and down with 5,000 people in the stands hugging each other and just how my relationship with my father grew. The greatest gift that that university ever gave me was my relationship with my dad. And they probably have no idea about mm -hmm. that. Um, mm -hmm. So maybe I took that in a little bit of a different direction. <laughs> no, that's perfect, Mike. That's uh, one of the best answers because, um, you know, I can't say it enough. And if people listen to this podcast regularly or any of the stuff we put out regularly, I will sound like a broken record with this when I say, when I challenge people to have 50 conversations in a year, um, it sounds like a big number until you pull yourself away from the professional realm and say, I'm talking with your kids. I'm talking with your parents. I'm talking with your, your good friends who you're great friends with, but when's the last time you just sat down to just talk with them? Um, and just taking time to be intentional about that. And right now, I, I said weeks ago that this, this podcast wasn't going to continue to be about coronavirus, but I can't help that. <laughs> I keep bringing it back to it because for me right now, you know, lacrosse season isn't happening. And um, what I'm finding is I coach and, and I miss that. And uh, if I was a player, I would certainly miss that. And more than anything, my brother and my dad and I, are still having conversations about the lacrosse season that could have been and what's coming up. We always, we grew up in Syracuse, New York. So we were big Syracuse fans, are big Syracuse fans. Uh, there's news coming out now about what players are going to stay and who's leaving. And one player's transferring potentially to Syracuse. Another senior since the spring sports are, are going to get a fifth year. Are they going to stay? And, and one of their better players, Nick Mellon is not going to stay because he's, He's got a life to go live outside of sport. And at some level you, you honor his maturity with that. And as fans, like we are, that is what we connect over. And I think back to being a kid watching Syracuse games and we would go to the final four every year because it was usually in Baltimore or Philadelphia. And, and as I've gotten older, I've come to appreciate how little that had to do with the sport other than the fact that we love the sport and it's something to, to connect over. Um, but how much it just has to do with, uh, just shared time together and, and, yeah. and, and that's it. So, um, that's, that's one of the best answers. Uh, yeah, to this I appreciate that. yeah. It's, it's funny. I mean, I think every coach has a philosophy, right? And my philosophy has always been to try to build my program and try to lead my program like a family. But when I look back on it now, it's not surprising because, um, those times that I was really learning and growing a love for the sport of soccer, um, I look, you know, at the time you're a little kid and you're like, I'm going to the Rutgers game. I'm going to watch the game. And now I look back on it and I'm like, that the game was about spending time with my dad. Mm -hmm. You know, the game was about family. My coaching philosophy is about family. I, I think those things are correlated. I think I'd be naive to say that they're not. Um, I think how I was brought up in the game, it was more about spending time with my dad than it was about the game. And I didn't realize that at the time. I don't think you ever do when you're in that moment, especially when you're young. But, um, but I do now. And, um, and so I'm not surprised that my coaching philosophy very strongly probably mimics my upbringing in the sport. Yeah. Hey, man, that's beautiful. Um, I can't thank you enough for doing this. You're right. You and I, you and I talk 
almost regularly enough that I never thought to, to do this <laughs> and record it. And, uh, and uh, I just, I thought this would have been uh, good for other coaches to hear uh, because of your, how you coach, how you live your life, your intentionality with your players. And then my appreciation, I say it to you all the time, uh, my appreciation for you for the partnership that we have. Uh, when I start having conversations with coaches about working together, I bring up our partnership, yours and mine, because it is a partnership. And that is what makes this work. It's what makes it so that even during this time, we hop on a Zoom and we're still accomplishing some really awesome things because yeah. this isn't, I'm, I'm not some speaker who comes in at the beginning of the year to fire everybody up and then I don't see you again for another year. Yeah. Um, nothing wrong with that. It's not, it's not what I think is most effective. And yeah. so I'm just so appreciative of, of the partnership. And, uh, and this, was, this was awesome to do. Thanks for yeah. hopping on here. You get out of it what you put into it. And yes. uh, you're a part of the family, man. So I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the 50 Cups of Coffee podcast. If you are enjoying the show, please subscribe wherever you are listening. Please give us a rating and leave a review and connect with me on social at Bobby Audley. If you are interested in learning more about our peak performance coaching program or simply grabbing a virtual cup of coffee with me, go to calendly.com forward slash Bobby Audley 01. This podcast is a production of the Pinot Training Group and our theme music is by Matisse Soy. To learn more about the work we do with teams and organizations, please check us out at pinottraininggroup.com.